goodness and to see your glory. I thank you, Father, for your love and mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, Lake Church. How's everybody doing? Praise the Lord. This is a momentous occasion. Um, this is uh, the changing of a season for us here. In April 8th of 2007, when we opened the doors <clears throat> uh, at the uh, Train Kids building, you know, we, we were overwhelmed by a capacity crowd initially the first day. And of course, you know, that second time it wasn't as big. And But we continued to keep pressing forward and God began to expand us. And uh, by September of that same year, we had to go to a second service. And we've done either two or three services for 15 years. <clears throat> That's a long time. And uh, so now we're entering into another place that the Lord wants to take us to. And it's not in regards to how many people are here or how many people are not here. It has absolutely nothing to do with it at all. Uh, I began to pray about the new year because the new year for me and for the church always starts in the fall. The fall. It's not January 1. Try to get something done January 1 in the church. People are trying to quit drinking and smoking and carousing and stuff like that. And you know who you are. So, so, to do, so to do something corporately, you know, is not really going to be something that, that's going to be done very well. So, but when the fall comes, there's a freshness, and it's really the start because it's the end of, of the harvest, and we're coming into a time in when people are getting more and more geared to going back to school, getting a more regimented lifestyle, and they tend to get uh, very passionate about the things of God during this time. And so uh, when I began to pray uh, July and August, or June, July, and August, the Lord began to share with me what he wanted to do. And I would have loved to have heard, you know, let's build another building and, you know, and people are going to come in from the north, the south, the east, and the west, which I still believe that. Amen. But uh, he said, go to one service. And he said, uh, one, one accord, one place, Holy Spirit. That's the three words he gave me. And uh, I began to sense and began to know something in my heart that God wanted to do something that melded us together corporately as a body, unified us, and gave us and, and exhibited himself in a great and powerful way in our midst. Amen? And, uh, you know, when you have a two-service format, it is wonderful for growing. You can grow the church with a two-service or multi-service format. However, you tend to, at times, if you don't really keep an eye on it, you can tend to create two different congregations. And uh, so our goal is to bring the congregation together, see what God's going to do. Amen? Because he said, one accord, one place. It's out of Acts chapter 2, so I got scripture for it. One accord, one place, the Holy Spirit. Amen? And that's going to be our emphasis going after, you know, this is the last Sunday 
in which we will be in the two-service format. So we'll start at next Sunday, 10 a.m. Amen? So if you come at 9, you'll be just be early. If you come at 11, you'll be a little late. But we'll be here at 10 a.m., and uh, I just believe the dynamics of our service are going to change dramatically. I believe God wants to do some things that he just couldn't do in the limited amount of time that we have been given in the two-service format because we have to kick, kick around at a pretty good pace. I know you guys don't believe that, but I do. I mean, <laughs> we have to rush around and, and uh, get some things done. But it'll, it'll, it'll increase the quality the quality of our time together. Amen? And that's important to me, to have the best quality we can possibly have, to have the freshest, you know, uh, more in-depth, more energized service so that we can begin to see the Lord manifest more and more in our presence. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. I do. So as goes the church, so goes the world. Amen? So God is calling us into, and I'm going to be talking a little bit about that here uh, this morning as well. We're going to land at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to land at. But before we do, I'm going to just go back over since we had a break last week. And how many, how many appreciated uh, our brother this past weekend? Amen. Hallelujah. Marty Blackwelder, what a great blessing. Amen. And uh, he was right on the money that this is a time of celebration. Amen. Amen. This is a time of looking back at all, what God has done in our house and uh, many lives that he's transformed and changed. We can never get tired of hearing those stories right. of people that have been transformed by the word of God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Okay, I'm going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. You don't have to turn there if you want to. I got them on the screen. And he's talking about Jesus, and God put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. So Jesus is the head of what? The church. Who's the church? We are. We are. Is the church a building? Is the church necessarily an organization or a company or an LLC or an incorporation? No, the church is a living organism. It is God's expression in the earth. Jesus expresses himself through the church. And it says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now notice what it says. The fullness of him who fills all in all. The church, the body of Christ, is the fullness of him and he fills all in all. So that means this, that if God's going to do anything in the earth, he's going to do it through his church. Amen. Amen? And we've been really reluctant to walk in that. The church collectively has been very reluctant. And we have become more of a devotional um, entity than a functioning, operational body of Christ doing the works of Jesus in our generation. We've kind of just said, well, we're going to just be worshipers and followers. And that's good. That's not, not, a, not a problem here. But I'm telling you, the world needs a living, walking, breathing Jesus. God, Jesus did not leave the earth without an expression of himself in the earth. When he sent the Holy Spirit to fill the church, 
He sent himself. He said, I will come and make my abode. Amen? So Jesus expresses himself through your life. Jesus uses you to touch the lives of other people. Government cannot do this. Institutions that are charitable institutions that are not steeped in Christ cannot do this. They can only go so far. There are entities out there that they give you money if you are sick, but there's not an entity out there that can heal the sick. There's people out there that can maybe help in a situation, but there's only one entity can bring the miraculous into a situation. So you've got to understand that that's our call, that we are to be Jesus upon the earth. Amen? When people are looking for the address of God, you need to say, look no further. I am not God, but God lives here. Amen? I like what the uh, Message Bible says. It says, all this energy, talking about the resurrection, issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule, and not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. Amen? So it clearly says here in this message paraphrase that the church is not peripheral to the world. We have long, now listen, don't, don't, you know, get mad at me for saying this, but we've often said this, the reason why the problem with the church is that there's a bad, bad world out there, and there is. There is a bad, bad world out there. But majority of our problems, people, is it's a bad, bad church. I'm just telling you the truth. It's just just a bad, bad church. We're not exemplifying Christ. Amen? And so my whole point and the whole purpose of this is to show you that the church is responsible. God will hold the church responsible for the nations of the world. The church that's in within each nation, God will hold responsible. Remember the parable of the talents? Remember that? He said, you know what? He said, you've been faithful over little. You'll be faithful over much. Here's 10 kingdoms. Come on now, wake up. So it's important for us to understand that God, when he wants to move in any nation, he does it through his church. He doesn't through political organizations or political candidates or anything of that nature. Come on now. Doesn't mean that he can't use certain things, and he does, but the main entity that's going to be used in regards to transforming nations and people's lives is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why is that? Well, in Matthew chapter 16, the Lord said this. He said this to his church. He said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, 
And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he's basically saying, I'm giving you the keys to open things and to shut things. Amen. Amen? You allow what you allow. You disallow what you disallow. Amen? We got to get a hold of this. Amen? See, the church has the ability to spiritually impede the forces of evil. Inevitably, we will not stop them. They will certainly take over for a time. The church will be taken out of the way. We've been talking about that on Wednesday nights. But know this, that while we're here, we ought to make it tough for hell to manifest. Amen? But we don't believe that. We don't believe that we have the ability to impede hell on earth. But we do. We do. We have the ability through our prayers. We have the ability through the authority given to us in the name of Jesus to bind and loose. Hello? How many get sick and tired of being preached to down here? See, we got to preach up here. We preach up here. We, we may just get right here, but we're a whole lot higher than we were down there. So we need to preach the, the standard of the, of the word of God, not just what we can necessarily believe for. Amen. Notice this. Psalm 115, verse number 16. <clears throat> the heavens are the Lord's heavens. But the earth he has given to the children of men, or the children of man. Notice that. Notice that if there's problems in the world, it's not God's fault. God didn't take your daddy. God didn't kill babies. God didn't cause that shooting. God didn't cause that war. Men did. Hello. Hello. And so basically what the gospel does is it comes in, it comes into the hearts of men, it transforms the hearts of men, and the hearts of men change more into the flow and ebb and flow of God. And that's what he does. He influences us from the inside to where we can bring heaven upon the earth. Amen? And that's the whole goal. Now the enemy's bringing hell upon the earth. Why? Because of the sin nature that's on the inside of man. The fact that he is in allegiance with the devil. Well, that means that he's going to do the devil's works. Remember Jesus said this, you're of your father the devil and the works of your father you'll do. Well, thank God, if you're born again, you're no longer a child of the devil. You're a child of the living God. Amen? Here's another scripture and then we'll get on to our lesson here. It says in 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Why does it begin at the household of God? Because everything begins at the household of God. Everything starts there. Did you know this? Here's a great revelation that you need to understand. Is that the devil always is reactive. He is never proactive. He only moves because God moves. So if the devil is messing in your life this morning, it's because God has proactively moved and the devil's trying to counter that move. Amen. Amen. Because all of his actions are reactionary. They're reactive. Amen? Amen? Because God is proactively moving and ordained things for your life. 
Angels are on assignment for you right now. God's word is released in your life right now. That confession you made this morning is now at work and creating. God is creating and using that as the resources to create the breakthrough that you need in your life. And the enemy sees it. He sees it. He knows it's going on. He knows more about it than you do. So he comes in reactionary and begins to mess with your life to get you to let go of your confidence. Amen? Judgment begins at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinners? Notice that. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Amen? And that shows us that the church is the entity that God works through. God will hold accountable the church and that we will all one day stand before the Lord Jesus Christ about the decisions and deeds that we did in the body. Amen? And so what we've been talking about is out of Ephesians chapter 4. And we started off with this right here. He says, I, verse 1, therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Praise the Lord. So let's go back there. Notice this, the first thing we talked about is if we're going to raise the standard, if we're going to do what God has called us to do, and as goes the church, so goes the world. I've shared with you this, and there's hard things to take here. The reason why we have so much strife and turmoil in the world is because, unfortunately, there's strife and turmoil in the church. The reason why there's rebellion in the world, I'm not saying that, listen, we have an effect upon that. You know, we're not the instigator of all of it because the devil is and, and the fallen people are, amen? But when the church doesn't operate right, the world goes out of restraint. There's no restraint. Where there is no vision, what? The people perish. The people lose restraint, the Bible says. And so what happens is the world needs the church to be the church. The world doesn't need the church to put on a leather jacket, get tattoos, put a big cig in their mouth, and act like them. Come on now. Doesn't need that at all. And in fact, most people who are against the church, who talk negatively about the church, will tell you this. They need the church to be the church. And it bothers them when the church compromises it really does. It bo- how, many, how many have ever been bothered when your parents compromised? You fighting them on something, you know, and you just think you're right, and then all of a sudden they just acquiesce. They back down. There's just something in you that goes, this ain't right. Well, you know what? To people who are lost, they are looking for the church to be the church. If the church says we believe this and we believe that, then they want to know that that's the way it's going to be. That's the way it's going to be, rain or shine. In any generation, at any day, 
365, 24-7, that's the way the church should be. Because the world looks to the church. Some of them don't. Some, some of them wouldn't admit that, but they look to the church. How many of you have been out on your wildest, freaky time? I mean, you was out on the fringes, man, but you knew grandma was praying. You knew dad was there. You knew that the light on, that you could go to, come on, how many know what I'm talking about? You knew that there was a lighthouse out there. You was out there swimming in that sea, out there in them big waves, thinking you were going to take on the world. And you just knew, thank God there's a lighthouse over there. Thank God there's somebody praying. Thank God there's some, because the world looks to the church. And in fact, when they get in trouble, where do they go? Well, I don't want nothing to do with the church. Something happens. I'm coming to church with you Sunday. (laughs) You know, mom always said if I'd get to church, it'd just straighten everything out. Well, that may or may not be true, but but it's a good start. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But if we're not raising the standard... And look at these, look at these things, because here's the problem. The church is so um, enamored with giftings that we have forsaken the character. And so people are following this miracle, this prophecy, this stuff, and then they're not really following people that have good track record character-wise. See, the number one thing you should be looking for is not who prophesies better, who lays hands on the sick and they get healed better. You should be looking for Christ's character. I would rather follow someone that I can say, you know what? Just like the apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. He didn't say, follow me. He said, only follow me when I'm following Christ. Amen. And so you've got to learn that it's fruit that we're looking for not gifts. Jesus said, you'll know them by their gifts. Is that what he said? No, he said, you'll know them by their fruit. And so when we look in the body of Christ and he says, I therefore prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy. He's not saying that you're unworthy because you've been made worthy by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, but you must walk a life Not for salvation, but in accordance with your salvation. Do you see what I'm saying? So if I'm born again and saved and the Spirit of God dwells on the inside of me, then there should be some manifest evidence of that. There should be some fruit. Come on now. This will put some hair on your chest, all right? This is good stuff. We've got to walk in a manner congruent with that, what Jesus has done in our lives. If we say, Jesus, save me, and I'm so grateful and thankful, then I need to walk in accordance with that. And uh, I walk worthy of the calling to which I've been called. See, that's the thing about the ecclesia. It's the called out ones. So it's a calling. See, aren't you glad that in your despair and in your darkness, God called out to you? People say, I found the Lord. Well, he wasn't lost. 
He called out to you in your darkness. He called out to you. It's a calling. He drew you in. And so we walk worthy. Now notice this. How do we walk worthy? Well, we walk with humility and gentleness. Patience, bearing with one another in love. But let, let's just be honest. Is this the characteristics of the church today? Are these the primary characteristics that you see in, in the global church? I know there's factions of the church that operate in this. But I don't see that on Facebook. I don't see that on Twitter. I don't see that on LinkedIn. Who uses LinkedIn anyway? <laughs> My goodness gracious. But anyway, so first thing that Paul addresses, because Ephesians 4 is basically the setup of the church. Yes. The first 16 verses show you how the church should look. You know, if you were going into uh, auto mechanics, uh, they begin to teach you how, what the different engines look like and the, the different protocols that go with uh, ma maintaining those engines and how they work and things of that nature. And Ephesians 4 is how the church works. It's looking under the hood. And the first thing that he says is that we need to operate in humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Listen, if the church is not the place where we're bearing one another with love, then where's it going to happen? That's exactly right. Where's it going to happen at? People aren't getting even that in their own homes. So the church needs to be a place where we bear one another with love. Praise the Lord. And eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. Notice it does not say the unity of doctrine. It says the unity of the spirit. He talks about doctrine later. But he's saying that the main spirit that needs to be in the church is not, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Methodist, I'm a charismatic. It should be unity of the spirit. We're all born of God. We have the spirit of God on the inside of us, and therefore we hook up with that. We may differ in our ecclesiology. We may differ in our theology. We may differ in the various aspects of our study and what we see in the word of God. But we endeavor to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of what? That doesn't mean in the bond of strife. In the bond of peace, amen? This is going over real well, I can tell. <clears throat> now notice he goes on next and he begins to talk about one. The main focus of these next verses is the word one. The Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit because he is God's spirit in the earth that is separate from and superior to all other spirits. The Bible talks about another spirit. It talks about don't believe every spirit. There are spirits in the world that want to lead and guide and direct you just like the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? So when we get accustomed and acquainted to the Holy Spirit, we're getting acquainted with the superior spirit, God's spirit in the earth that has been set apart for the church. 
So that tells me this, that the Holy Spirit needs to be the only spirit that operates in the body of Christ, not an unclean spirit, not a divining spirit, not a familiar spirit, but the Holy Spirit. Because there is one body and one spirit. There are not many bodies. There's one body, one body of Christ, one expression in the earth, and there is one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope, there's only one hope. Buddha does not have another hope. Krishna does not have another hope. There's only one hope, and his name is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, I am the truth or the reality, and I am the life. He didn't say, I am a way. There's only one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, not many lords. Baal is not Lord. One faith. There's only one faith that can translate you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Only one. And one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But then then he begins to talk about our grace gifting. So notice this. He goes first to character. Then he goes to understanding that there is only one God, one spirit, one body, one faith. So you don't have to be confused about this. Amen? But then he goes on and he says this. But grace was given to each one of us. Okay? Lift your hand. That means you. Grace. Keros. Now, he's not talking about the grace of being born again and saved, the grace that comes just, you know, to be born again. He's talking about gifting. So we can actually say this, but grace giftings were given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay? So Jesus Christ, when he ascended on high, and we'll see this a little bit later, When he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men, the Bible says. When the Holy Spirit came to manifest within the church, his body, the Holy Spirit, and all that he is, is disseminated and exhibited through each one of us in different capacities and in different ways. There is not anyone that has all of the Holy Spirit except for Jesus. Remember that? Now, what, what, did, what do I mean by that? All the expressions of the Holy Spirit. You have received the fullness of the Spirit. You have the same, each one of us have the same Holy Spirit, but he chooses to manifest himself differently in our lives to where we need one another because we're members of what? A body. Okay? So that means I need Joel. 
and Joe needs me. I need Ronnie, and Ronnie needs me. I need Patrick, and Patrick needs me. That's the reason why the enemy does not want the church meeting corporately. He does not want you. He wants you to stay online, wants you to stay away, busy your life, get in all kinds of stuff, because he knows that if the church gets together, that the anointing that's on my life gets to the anointing on Kevin's life and the anointing on Paisley's life, and we begin to form the body, the body of Christ. Kevin was telling me something about uh, what Andrew Womack did one time. I guess it was a guy that was at Andrew Womack. And he had taken, uh, now this, uh, listen, I, you, gun culture, I'm not, I'm not a gun guy, okay? So don't, don't, don't worry about it. I'm not bringing a gun in the, in the place. But, but anyway, <clears throat> he brought in, what was it, an AK-47 or something like that? AK-47. And he took it apart. He had, as a military guy, he took it all apart. And uh, he took it all, and it had all the pieces, springs and everything that went with it. And he said, and he picked up a spring, and he said, are you afraid of that? And they said, absolutely not. And he picked up another piece of the gun. He said, are you afraid of that? Well, no. I mean, he might have picked up the you know, the, uh, the barrel, you know, you might get hit with it, you know, you know, but it's still not, it's still not dangerous. He put it all together, aimed at Adam and said, are you afraid of this? And everybody, yes, that's what happens when we come together. Well, I can have church at home. Well, that spring won't get you very far. That devil, devil knows how to take care of springs. <laughs> knows how to take care of, come on now, but when we get together. And that's the reason why one of the hardest things that, that you get attacked on is, is coming to church. Hello, you know what I'm talking about. You just went through it. Hello, you just went through it. I mean, trying to get kids together, trying to get, you know, I had four boys. I know exactly what that was, but we were in church. We were in church Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Hello. Why? Because we're more powerful together. When we come together corporately, there's something that God wants to do. And that's what he's talking to me about this one service. He wants the whole gun put together. He wants to fire off some things in our community towards the enemy and break bondages off of people's lives. But for some reason, the two-service format's not working for us right now. Not saying it won't work in the future, just not working for us right now. And so we've got to understand that collectively, we're far more powerful. But we live in a culture that is based upon individuality. We live in America where everybody's an individual. Not really, not really, because we kind of all kind of have the same proclivities on certain things and things of that nature. And we kind of can get into the herd mind really, really, really quickly. Come on now. But we like to think that we are. You know, we really like to think, well, I'm an individual and I like this. And so we base our 
uh, I'm, I'm talking to you about reasons why the church is not effective. Is that all right? Why the church is not effective in our culture today? It's because we're enslaved to our preferences. We are enslaved to our preferences. We believe the church is for us instead of being the church. We believe the church is for us. You know, I talked a little bit about that, you know, during COVID. Listen, if you are part of the Little C Church, just the church that's your little community get together and where you have friends and relationships, then guess what? You can, you can mark that out. You can take that off your schedule. You want to save a little time during the week, you can put that out. It's not going to be a real high priority to you. But if you see yourself a part of the global big C church, ecclesia of the Lord Jesus Christ, there ain't anybody going to stop you from being here. And most people don't have that because they think the church is for them. And they base it upon their preferences. I don't know why I'm going here, but I guess, I'm, I guess the Lord wants me to camp here, all right? Is this all right? Amen. So if the church is, if the reason why you, you come to church is the sole basis of it is it's got good music and the preacher's okay and they got good kids ministries and my kids like it and I got good youth ministry, then you're going to church for the wrong reasons. Now, not to say that a church shouldn't have those things. Church should have those things. Amen? But that shouldn't be the reason. The reason you come is because Jesus came into my mess, lifted me up out of death and hell, forgave my life, raised me up, put my feet upon a rock, gave me a hope and a future, gave me a calling, and he has called me. I didn't choose this place. He called me to this place. And I report to it like a soldier reports to his base. That's it. That's, you're going to be okay. You're going to be all right. You live that way, you're going to be fine. But if it's, uh, well, I don't like that song they did, you know. Hello, come on now. There's people that leave for very important things like music. Well, I, they played that song over and over. I guess I'm going to go somewhere else. My goodness gracious, you're going to stand before the Lord. And you're going to tell him why you left. Because Jesus is going to ask you, Jorge, why'd you leave? I'm going to give you an opportunity to tell me the master of the universe, the one who redeemed your life, the one who saved you and put you in that body while you left. I guarantee you, you'll fall on your face and say, Lord, thou knowest. <laughs> Hello. Well, I don't like so-and-so doing the announcements. People do that. People leave because of that stupid stuff. And we're wondering why we're not winning the world. Gossip and slander runs amok in our world. Well, it runs amok in the church. Cancel culture. We invented it. It's time for us to be like Jesus, operate in the character of Jesus, realize there's one Lord, one faith, one body. Praise God. And grace has been given to us. But it's different than, you know, it's a different expression than mine. 
And we've got this big competitive and comparative culture in the church. People jealous because so-and-so is in this spot and doing this. And it looks like they can do this and they can do that. And I can't. I'm telling you, the problem is us. We need to stop looking at Disney, stop looking at the government, stop looking at stuff like that, and let's start looking inward and begin to realize we are the greatest, the most powerful entity on planet Earth. Not because we're special, but because the God we serve, Jesus on the inside of us, is So why are we not seeing them come in from all over, filling up the church house, wanting to know more about this Jesus? It's because he has not been represented properly. Amen? Hello. And we really don't want to pay the price to represent him properly. Because, you know, if you want to get in shape, you know, You'll hire someone to yell at you. You will. You will hire somebody that will make sure you're not going to Krispy Kreme and will follow you. Put a tracker on your phone to make sure you're not going to Burger King at 12 o'clock at night and call you fat and flabby and ugly and you will... Sign checks over them to do that. You will write big, huge checks. But your pastor talks about tithing. Oh, my gosh. This is over. I'm done. I'm absolutely done. Hello? He talked about money again. I'm out of here. Well, you're going to have to stand before the Lord. That's all there is to it. There's no fear of God. That's part of the reason. If we don't fear the Lord, then what's going to happen out there? There's no fear of God in here. Listen, they're going to continue to uprise, continue to rebel, continue to do that. It's time for us to raise the standard. You're acting like you believe this. Do you believe it? Okay. All right. So. Everybody was given grace gifts. Grace gifts are very important. Did you know you are a gifted individual? Hello. How many remember, I don't know that they do this anymore because they're so afraid of hurting other people's feelings nowadays in our schools. But when I was in school, they had what is known as the gifted class. How many, how many remember the gifted class? That wasn't the short bus people. That was the long bus people. I was on... <laughs> I was on the short bus. (laughs) Hello? Gifted class. These were people that were being prepared for college, you know, like four years before they would even go to college. I I think uh, Joel was in that group. (laughs) I won't even look at Kevin, but... um, (laughs) (laughs) they had the gifted class in the gifted class they got to go on trips you didn't get to go on they got to be you know go to colleges and various little things and get to do things and 
they, they kind of sat in their own spot in the lunchroom too, the gifted people. And everybody would point to them and say, they're the gifted people. They're the gifted. They played, they played games like, what's the square root? And, you know, you really didn't want, you know, you kind of just acted like that wasn't cool, you know. But really inside, you know, you want to be a gifted guy. I wish I was in the gifted class, you know. They were taking their SATs when they were 12, you know. I mean, that's just, you know, passing you, laughing at you while you're writing notes. And, I mean, it's just stuff like that. And, and you get this complex, I'm not gifted. That there are, that here, here's what the enemy wants you to think. That there are people that are gifted and you're not one of them. And that there's only a small portion of people that are truly gifted. They're on television. And if you're in sports, it's worse. Because what, only less than 1% to 2% even make it in professional ranks. And they go in there through gifting. gifting. So you think, well, they've got a gift that I don't have. And so you can kind of feel bad about yourself. And it's meant to do that, guys. It's absolutely meant to do that. But this scripture is the equalizer. It says, but grace was given to every one of us. Boy, you're excited about that. Grace giftings have been given to every one of us. So what you can say is this, I'm a gifted person. I'm a gifted individual. Did you know that? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a gifted individual. Some of you believe it. Some of you believed it and didn't need my help. But you're a gifted individual. Why are you a gifted individual? Because God has given you grace gifts. You're not only just a gifted individual. In Christ, you're a multi-gifted individual. See, the whole thing about gift is, is you don't earn it. You don't merit it and you don't work for it. So people are just good looking. They didn't merit that. I'm working hard at being attractive. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. You either are or you aren't. Come on now. Use the deck, the cards the Lord gave you. Amen. But understand that. You don't have to work at certain things. And gifted people don't have to work at certain things. There are people trying to work to operate in the gifts of God. You don't have to work to operate in the gifts of God. You just simply believe and embrace and begin to be available to the Lord. You're a gifted individual. That means it's not in your pocket. It comes as the Spirit wills. But oh, praise God when it does. I'm gifted. I'm a gifted person. You're a gifted person. But most people will not see those gifts manifest. And I'm going to show you why here in a minute. Because this is basically looking under the hood of the church. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. We're looking under the hood. We're seeing what's running this car here. Okay? All right? So he goes on and he says, Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, talking of Jesus... 
He led captive, captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Okay, so he's going to talk about those gifts right now. Now, he says, let's go back up to that verse. But grace was given to how many? Everybody. No one is exempt from this. If you have received Jesus, you've got a grace gift. You don't just have one, you have multiplicity of grace gifts. God wants to express himself through you. So guess what? The 12 manifested, you know, the, the nine gifts of the Spirit in, in 1 Corinthians 12, those are yours. The motivation gifts in the 12th chapter of the book of Romans is yours. Those are yours. Those are grace giftings given to you and then a whole multiplicity of giftings that are throughout the Old Testament and exemplified throughout the New Testament also operate in you because the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of you. <clears throat> You've got to understand that these gifts begin to operate where there is a need, where there is something that demands it. So if you're in a situation where you're in a, a foreign country and, and, and you're the only one there, God will move through you in a multiple ways to minister to the needs of people. But when you come back to the United States, you might not necessarily see those things manifest like they did when you were overseas. Why? Because God does it as it pleases him. He chooses to flow through you that way. And it's also based upon the needs that are around you. If you don't have any needs around you, you're not going to see manifestation. Okay? So everyone has been given grace gifts. Everybody. And everybody in the Greek means everybody. Okay? He gave gifts to men. He talks about the resurrection of Jesus. The reason why he puts this, he ascended. What does it mean that he had also descended in the lower regions of the earth? The reason why he puts this in here is to show you that Christ fills all things. And so your gifting is based upon a God who fills everything. Amen? But then he goes on and says this, and he gave, and I like the King James better, and he gave some, not all, some. <clears throat> Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, which is pastors and teachers. Now notice this. He gives everyone grace gifts, but he causes some to be in these five offices. Now don't for one minute think that these offices are superior to you. That is not what this is about. This is not what this is about. A fivefold ministry gift is not superior to any child of God. A fivefold ministry gift has greater responsibility because the responsibility of a ministry gift is to equip you to begin to notice your grace gifting and begin to use your grace gifting. See, that's the whole reason for it. This is God's coaching staff. This is God's coaching staff. Okay? So basically, you know, some of the greatest coaches 
were never the greatest players. They were never just super great players. And that's the reason why you don't see Michael Jordan ever coach. Michael Jordan was a great player. He is a horrible coach. He's a horrible front office guy. I mean, he, he's just absolutely horrible. That's the same way with Isaiah Thomas and all of them. They, they were great winners on the court. But they just, they, they, it's a totally different mindset to be a coach. It's a totally different mindset. Okay? Let me tell you something, how you really know if you're in the fivefold. Okay? I'm going to give you a, a thing if you really know that you're in the fivefold. Okay? Majority of, of ideas that we have about fivefold ministers is it's about them. Man, they're up in the pulpit, they're preaching, they're teaching, they're writing books, and, and they're doing this. And it looks like it's just, it's just they're solo artists, you know. They're, 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 they're out front and they're visible, and man, I want that. But to really be fivefold means that you must have at your heart the desire to see others achieve greater things than you. If you don't have that, you're not in fivefold. If you don't have that at all, you're not in fivefold. Why? Because he goes on and tells us. He said he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, some people will put periods in there. To equip the saints, period, to, for the work of the ministry, period. That is not what it says. I'm not here to do all the ministry. Some people say, well, my preacher, he does it all. He paints and mows the grass and does all that stuff. And I just, I just really look up to him. Well, he ain't doing his job then. Hello, you'd be a little upset if your coach that's supposed to teach you how to hit a fastball is out there liming the field. You know, come on now, come on now. Everybody looks at, well, why not? See, it takes everything for, for us to, see, you don't understand you're in a war. You don't understand that. You think that the only war you have is wrestling with your kids in the morning and get them to school and, and you know, you know and, and trying to have a good day. Hello. But you're in a spiritual war. Did you know that? And you need God's coaching staff. And you need God's coaching staff to do what God's coaching staff does. Hello. Which is to teach you to see the invisible. Which is to teach you to discipline and train your life to where you can operate as an overcomer in this life. That's the whole purpose. To equip and to train you to fulfill your ministry. See, I'm not here for you to fulfill my ministry. I don't need you propping me up. I need to get underneath you and prop you up. See, that's the whole point. See, God's coaching staff, you know, people want this. They want the pulpit. They want visibility, but they don't want to get to work in anybody's life. They rarely have anybody over. They don't invest in anybody's life whatsoever, and they wonder why they're not in the ministry. Well, God can't use you. You're, not in, you're, you're interested in you. You're waiting for somebody to say, the Lord spoke to me and point at you and say, you're a preacher, you're a pastor, you're a missionary. Come up here and take this over. 
Hello? It's like when I was at rock concerts, you know. It was always a fantasy. Can anybody play the drums? <laughs> Can anybody play the bass? Come up here. And you'd get up there and you'd, you'd be famous, you know. And that's what people want. That's what people want. And see, that's the reason why the church don't work, is that we're taking these, notice, notice these gifts here, and I'm going to say something. We're making these gifts celebrities. We're not celebrities, no one. None of these gifts are. Paul called us a spectacle, <laughs> but uh, not in the way that you would think. Not like Beyonce in the Super Bowl. We're a spectacle because God uses us and the enemy comes against us. And you get to see the whole thing. And how we respond to it is how we teach you. That makes us a spectacle. Hello? People don't like that, but it's the truth. See, there's no celebrity in there. Those are all servants. Every one of them are there to serve. Every single one of them. They're not there to be served. They're there to serve. And they're there for a reason. And here's the bad part. Here's where the rub is, guys. And I've run out of time, but I'm going to throw this on you. This is the only way God works. This is the only process he works in. You can try to avoid that. And there's people that do. They hop from churches to church trying to find this gift and, oh, just lay hands on me and just give me what you got. No, that's not the way it works. Not the way it works at all. Hello. Well, I want a healing anointing like you have, Pastor. Well, Let's go back to about, you know, seven days in a hospital room fighting for your life. Let's go there. <laughs> well, I just want that anointing that's on your marriage. Well, let's go through those difficult seasons that we went through and you just come on over and come on now. Hello. It's just like old Daniel's son, you know, karate kid. Teach me karate. He says, uh, paint the fence. Scrub the floor. Wax the car. Wax on. Wax off. And we sit there and we think we can get the wax on, wax off by someone waxing on and wax off our forehead. <laughs> Lord, I'm going to give him everything I've got, you know, transfer. It ain't the way it works. When you submit to a ministry gift, you submit to a process. And that process begins to develop your gifting. And they will actually put you in positions that you don't necessarily feel the gifting for. Well, I don't, that's not my gift. Well, that's a sign that you ain't in the right place. You ain't got the right heart attitude. See, God will put you in things that you are not supposed to be, that you think that you are inevitably not going to do. And he'll do it to rub those 
rough edges off of your life. Because you know what? He can't use you the way you are. This is getting real good at the end. God will save you, but he doesn't have to use you. And he uses these five-fold ministry gifts to bring out the best in you. And people that think they can do without it are not making any headway in their gifting whatsoever. They don't have the accountability. They don't have the commitment level. You got to have somebody that's over you telling you, "Hey, man, what what's going on here? Why haven't I seen you?" What's you know? You're gonna have to have that. You've got to have that pressure. There has to be tension. Good things come from tension. Pianos play beautifully because of tension. Guitars they wail and howl because of tension. And gifts come forth. Because of tension. Not just giving everything. Here. Take this. I'll just, I'm just going to give this away. That doesn't know how it works. I went, remember I went, I thought I was the best thing since sliced bread. I really did. And when I went to go visit my pastor, my, he was not my pastor at the time. But when I heard him on the radio and I said, Lord, I'm going to go meet David Emi. And so I went and drove uh, to see him and went up into his office. And he sat there. He had that nice beard. And he had a hair helmet, you know. He was just kind of just shellacked, you know. And I, I, I thought I was walking into Moses' office. I mean, because he, he held that kind of esteem to me. I mean, if, if, if he could have told me, no, God ain't going to use you, and I would have believed him. I would believe you. That's how, what kind of mantle he carried. So he's sitting there, you know, and I'm, I'm sitting there telling him my big dreams. Well, I want to train under a man of God and, you know, learn the ministry. And I was wondering if you would, you would do that for me. You know what he told me? He said, well, I don't know, you know. He said, uh, most of the guys, they buck tables and, and set up chairs. He said, if you're willing to do that, then maybe. Did you hear me? Yep. He didn't say, oh, I need someone to preach this Wednesday. No. Right. He said, well, he said, if you'll, you know, just come and just buck chairs and you know, help us with stuff. I said, we, we really need help with the lawn mowing on Saturday. I didn't go there for no lawn mowing. Hello. That's the attitude that you deal with right there. That dragon on the inside. You know. You know. I didn't come for no lawn mowing. He said, he said really, he said, uh, I don't really mentor you know, one-on-one. -on -one. He said, I'll mentor you mainly from the pulpit. So you come, you set your tail down, and you listen to me teach. And that's what he told me. Hello? And there's people that were, <laughs> No, I showed up. 
I wainscoted, you know, put, put, put uh, old English on the wainscoat, showed up, scrubbed toilets, did what I needed to do. Hello. I had a woman. I said, husband of mine, you do whatever you need to do. Not many of them out there today. You do whatever you need to do. And she supported me and helped me and, and was there for me. And um, praise the Lord. I'm here today because of that decision. But I had to dedicate myself to, to a process. A process done by apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That's how I got where I needed to be. People that sit around at home thinking that they can get somewhere by not coming and being part of a corporate assembly, they don't get that. They don't get the five-fold process. The five-fold process is to speak into your life and to refine you. See, words are what builds you. Did you know that? So if I'm, if I'm staying back and I'm not getting the word, I know you got your podcast and you got your favorite itching ears preachers that you listen to. But I'm here to tell you, friend, when you come to a local church, you're going to hear from apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers that are your fathers. And it's a whole big difference between Stephen Furtick and your father. It's a big difference. Because there's weight to it. Hey, he may not have a 32-inch waist. He may be balding. He may have gray hair and look like Colonel Sanders. <laughs> or he may be absolutely bald like Bob. But I'm here to tell you, greater is he that's in them than he that's in the world. And I've listened to the Carl Lenses. And I've listened to the, and I can name you 10 of them. I've listened to all of them. And you know what? They're good for the people that they speak to. But I'm here to tell you, if you're not in the local church where God has called you to be, you're not hearing from the general you're supposed to be hearing from. You're not hearing from the commander you're supposed to be hearing from. Because Jesus has specific assignments for the whole body. And they're specific to the unique churches that are called by his name. Listen, Greg Hurd did not build this church. Jesus Christ built this church. And Jesus Christ called you to this house. He called you. There's people that will tell me, I don't even like this place. And God just told me to get here. I had a guy tell me he was shaving. He, he, he decided he'd made a decision. I'm not going down to that church again. He was down there. He was shaving. The Lord in the mirror said, get your tail down to that church right now. I don't care if you like me or not. I don't care if you like anybody that's on staff here. There's a lot of people don't like, like them. They tell me about it in emails. That don't matter. You know what? When you were in the army or you were in the armed forces, you didn't necessarily like the people that were above you, but you snapped into position. Oh, come on now. Because you're, 
the great commander, the, the chief shepherd. That's who we're accountable to. Oh, I'm telling you, I'm getting into some, I'm, I'm getting in that Kool-Aid like this. I'm just, there's a lack of submission and authority in the church. And I could go on and on and I won't because I want you to have a good day. But, um, <laughs> but let me ask you this question. The enriching, fulfill, fulfilling life that you're looking for will never come by attainment. It'll never come by attaining a position or attaining a certain social status or a certain economic status. It'll never come for that. The fulfilling, gratifying life comes when you give yourself to something that is greater than you and you're willing to be spent and poured out, like Karen said a couple of weeks ago, and be poured out for the Lord. When you get to that point, you're going to feel what you want to feel. You're going to know what you need to know, and you're going to be who you need to be. But until you're willing to lose your life, you'll never find it. You'll never find it. That's the process. That's the engine. You're never going to make. Your gifts are never going to come to fruition without those five offices. They're just not. Amen? That's a somber note to end on. But we'll do it anyway. It's time to evaluate. God has great things in store for you. God has good things. But it isn't just going to come automatically. And you've got an enemy that wants to get you off course. Are you willing to pay the price? We'll have people up here to pray with you if you need to be born again. If you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. If you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need healing or you need deliverance in your life. They'll be up here. Amen. This is the last nine o'clock service for a while. I'm signing off. <laughs> Fifteen years. Hello. Next time we get together, the atmosphere is going to be even more supercharged than it is right now. And we're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.